Hey, it's Jose Galison. You're watching No Way Jose. You can find me on No Way Jose YouTube channel, all the major auto podcasters, and Odyssey as well. Today, my guest is Matthew Gilman. We're continuing our uh, Duncan Lemp series, uh, centering, uh, kind, of, kind of loosely focused on his, the book he wrote on it. Uh, uh, God, I'm going to fuck it up right now. Uh, what was it? Uh, he'll correct me. There's something, a uh, crash in the night, uh, the assassination of Duncan Lemp. I might have got the crash right, uh, wrong. The, I'm pretty sure that's correct. He'll correct me in a minute. But uh, the I do want to let you guys know, I don't have it for the live stream, but every one of these ones that comes up publicly, it'll be in the podcast and the YouTube uh, drop down. Go check it. You can order that book, give it to somebody else. It's definitely written from the perspective of like, uh, someone who's you know just learning about this so you know if in, it's not a super long book too so it's a something that you might be able to gift around if people be kind of interested in it especially if you have like i don't know conservative boomer type friends or, or something something along those lines this is something that'll really bring them in but uh i do want to let you let you guys remind you guys uh how this stick works if you're watching on the 15th november 15th right now you're watching the live stream the public live stream almost immediately after i pull it down and then roughly a week or so later, depending on the schedule I have, uh, I will drop it publicly. Uh, if you want to be able to have access in the meantime, not have to be waiting for those uh, public live streams to drop, and uh, then you can become a patron, and you'll have access to it even during the times when it's not publicly available. Uh, it's patreon.com, just Noah Jose 2020. The lowest level is 2 bucks. That's what gives you those perks. There's other perks, the 5, 10, and the 20 level. Uh, the 20 level is the sponsors, and my sponsors are... Mikael Thorpe of the Expat Money Show. He's the guy, if you want to get out, get the hell out of Dodge, you want to go to a different country, or if you just want to dual citizenship, whatever, what have you. Uh, if you're trying to figure out how to, I don't know, reduce your tax burden by doing stuff like that, or just get out of here. He's your guy. He does it as a business, and he also has a podcast. So the Expat Money Show, you can go check out his show. Uh, if you're, like, really serious about it, you can just go hit up his business, um, and he's definitely the guy for that. Uh, I also have uh, – dude, uh, brain fart there. Oh, I have Jeremy, uh, Jeremy of the Etsy st store at Etsy.com slash shop slash Raising Liberty. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeremy Rhymes. I also have Toad of Tower Power Hour. He's my co-host on Tower Power Hour. It's a show I'm on as well. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at TPH underscore Toad. And you can also go follow our, our, me and him both podcasts uh, and you know a handful of other guys uh, at Tower Power Hour. It's on YouTube, also on Odyssey, also on all the major podcatchers. Uh, yeah, definitely go check that out. If that's more like offensive comedy, so if that's not your shtick, you know, I don't want to hear I'm offended because uh, I warned you. Uh, but if that's your thing, go check it out. Uh, yeah, I do also want to let you guys know toplobster.com, you associate checkout for 10% off. Uh, yeah, he's got my merch, he's got uh, Liberty Lockdown merch, Naturalist Capitalist merch, Star Power merch, a bunch of different shows. He also has stuff that's just not like show related, so definitely go check him out. He's a lot of good stuff. I uh, highly recommend him. I love Top. He's a dude. Also a co-host in Tower Power. But, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and get Matthew in here. We'll get to it. Hey, what's up, man? I got it right. Crash in the night, right? Oh, did I lose you? Oh, am I gone? Oh, you there? <laughs> I don't know if that was me or you. I don't know if that was me or you. But did I get... Did I get it right? Uh, crash of the night? Yeah, it, it okay, is a cool. crash of the night. Yeah. I kept wanting to say bump of the night just because that's like, you know, <laughs> that's like a, the kind of the what's the colloquialism, the bump in the night. So, like, my head goes to that first. Uh, but that doesn't really make sense with uh, Duncan for sure. So, crash of the night, the assassination of Duncan left. That's that's yes. the book. So, yes. um, all right. Uh, yeah, let's get back into it. Let's di start digging into this shit. Uh, you know, uh, let's start off with, um, 
let's talk about no knocks because uh, that's a big big aspect of it. Uh, I, I, I usually when I discuss this topic, I do also bring up red flags a lot. Although technically this wasn't a red flag, I know a lot of people will say that, but it, it kind of has a lot of the same hallmarks. So and that kind of you know they're similar. But you know no knock no knocks particularly. Uh, that is a thing. Uh, you want to take a moment because we're, we're we're also trying to tailor this podcast for people just kind of learning about Duncan Lamp or. Yeah, I mean, I can assume people may not even know what no-knock warrants are. You want to explain for a moment to the audience what no-knock warrants are? I know most of my audience, this is you know, normal <laughs> stuff, but I'm trying to uh, set this up for you know posterity's sake, this podcast. for. <laughs> but uh, you want to go explain what those are and what we can talk about them further. Yeah, so, so no-knocks, they came into play in law enforcement back in the late 70s, early 80s, and this had to do with Nixon's war on drugs. Uh, especially during, during the crack at epidemic of the 1980s, uh, you would have police trying to raid apartments, houses that they suspected to be crack dealers. And the first thing you want to do is get rid of the evidence. So the, the, whoever was nearest to the supply would grab it, go to the toilet, <clears throat> flush it down. And, uh, you know, once it hits the water and it goes, it, it's gone, right? You're, there's no recovery. If the, the police don't have the evidence, they have to drop all the charges. And therefore, you know, the crack house gets to stay in business. Um, so there's definitely a, a battle going on between, you know, the cops trying to secure the evidence and the crack dealers uh, not, not going to jail. So they devised a way of doing no-knock warrants, where beforehand they had to pound on the door before they smashed it in. They announced who they were, because once they say who they are, if they're shot at and if anybody's injured, then it's the liability of the drug dealers. But they got it in their heads that if they just bash in the door, they don't announce themselves. And if they do it at a certain time of day that they know everybody's going to be asleep, they have the element of surprise. They, they can secure the evidence that they're seeking. Uh, they get the prosecution. But, um, you know, this, this also comes... Uh, there, there were situations in the past where drug dealers would pretend to be cops. And they would do these same raids against the people that uh, they were in competition with. So they would kick in doors, pretending to be the police. They'd uh, tie up everybody, cough them. They'd take all their money, all their cocaine. And then they're like, ha suckers. You know, we're, we're the guys from the, the block neck, you know, two blocks over. Right. Um, so you're putting people, even if they are drug dealers, they could just be a law-abiding citizen who has a gun because they live in a shitty neighborhood. And this has happened before in the past, too, where cops go to an address. It's in the middle of the night. They read the address wrong or they're on the wrong street, but they have the same number. And then they kick in a door. They don't announce who they are. The homeowner shoots at the people who just kicked in the door, thinking that it's a, a home invasion in the middle of the night. And next thing you know, they're going to jail because a cop was shot or killed. Uh, and this is this is a huge issue. Um, as for Duncan Lemp, why they would do a no-knock raid on him, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Because the whole purpose is to make sure that evidence is not destroyed and during the raid and that they're able to secure the evidence. 
So with Duncan, their, expla <laughs> their explanation was that, well, he deemed himself to be a threat towards the police because of things he said online. And he posted video of himself at a gun range using the, the same weapons that they allegedly uh, believed he was um, in possession of illegally. Uh, but at the same time, how does he get rid of this evidence if they're doing a raid? It doesn't make any sense. Like he's, he's not gonna, he doesn't have a, a, a big furnace to throw the rifles in so that they're melted by the time the, the SWAT team gets to his room. Right. Uh, he, he can't flush it down a toilet. There's, there's absolutely no way for the evidence to just disappear once they, they go into the house. So that excuse doesn't make any sense. Um, they're trying to say it was for the officer's safety, but at the same time, it's like, here's a guy that they know, according to their report, the, the December 31st report from 2020, um, they, they, they talked about the paranoia he had of being raided, of somebody breaking into his house, hurting him and his, his family. Um, they acknowledged this, and they did the same act that he was afraid somebody would do. <laughs> so again, it doesn't make any sense why you do an ONAC raid. But Montgomery County has a history of doing this. Um, the state of Maryland has a really bad history of doing this uh, to the point where <clears throat> there was a no-knock raid that was done on the governor's house, uh, which ended up with two dogs uh, owned by the governor being killed before they realized whose house they were raiding. Uh, and afterwards, the governor was so pissed, he said, I want an investigation to find out how many of these no-knock raids are being issued, why they're being issued, and what is the purpose of all of this. So part of satisfying the governor was to do a study to see how many no-knock raids are done per year in the state of Maryland. And they found it to be over 8,000 the first year that they they did the study and then after that the numbers were so bad they stopped doing the study so per year um i think it was 2018 they discovered that they did 8000 no knock raids in one state which if if no knock raids really did work and it was to prevent or uh, reduce crime you think maryland would probably be the safest state uh, in the United States, and it's not. You know, this is where Baltimore is. the The wire was based on on uh, Baltimore. Uh, Maryland statistically still has a very high crime rate, especially after 2020. Baltimore got really bad again, uh, but they're just notorious for cops will go to a judge and say like, "We'd like to have a no knock raid for this address." They don't look into it any further than that. Like they didn't. I'd really like to know what happened to the judge that issued the one on uh, the governor. Cause like, how do you not look up an address and go, uh, are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> yeah. I, I wish I remember. I know in the episode I did with Casey, I brought some stats with me. I don't remember off the top of my head, but it, it is nuts how often for one, they go to the wrong house and then uh, shit, I completely lost my point, but yeah, it, no. Oh, the, the, uh, how often the, the, the judges sign off on it. Yeah, how often they sign off on it? It's basically just a, a you know like a rubber stamp type thing. Like it's it's not. I wish I could remember the stats. It's something alarming how often they get approved. 
um, you know, uh, it's kind of like uh, the FISA court system. I, I remember there was that big thing with Trump and the whole Russian collusion thing a while back. And they, and I remember they looked into the stats, how, how often these like special FISA warrants get pushed through. And mm -hmm. it's the same thing. It's insane. Like the, once these things get put into place, they just become procedural and just bureaucratic and just, you know, just kind of gets you know, pushed through. Uh, anyone who's worked in a government job kind of gets the idea. This you just kind of get into a drone. You, you, this is these are the rules, and you just kind of blindly go by them. And to, to for the most part, um, and uh, yeah, I, I guess I also want to back up a little bit. I kind of talk about no knocks in general. I do think it's interesting. Like, if you're not someone who's gone down like the you know really thought about this deeply, or gone kind of a libertarian, anarchist, whatever wormhole, or you know, or just really thought about it critically, it it is like. It does seem to make sense on its face. The idea, you know, uh, like the purpose of a no-knock uh, warrant. The idea being, you know, obviously specifically for the purposes of, uh, you know, something with, with drugs. Because a lot of people imagine like, hey, well, we're going to have situations where, say, El Chapo or some huge, I don't even know if Chapo's a drug dealer. It just sounds like one to me. Uh, <laughs> but like some huge drug dealer, Kingpin is, you know, has this stronghold. The media bill have the legal ability to just, you know, bust in there and get them all at once. And it's this extreme, you know, condition that people have in their mind of like, in this specific one instance, we need to be able to give power to the government to be able to do what needs to be done. But the problem is no one ever really thinks about the results of giving them that power and what ends up happening. What starts as something that's supposed to be an isolated situation uh, just becomes normalized and goes out from there. And I would even say, you know, aside from maybe the most most specific and crazy of hypotheticals, even in those situations, it's probably not advisable. Because even if you are dealing with some hardened criminal, I guess maybe if your intel is really, really good, but I don't trust government intel, which we'll even get into that. Um, <laughs> but, like, the, the idea is you're immediately making this a confrontation right off the bat. Uh, so it, it is... A, at that point, I can't really, even if you are going after a hardened criminal, I kind of can't even sympathize with the cops because it's like you literally put them in a fight or flight situation and you're getting bullets sent your way. It's kind of like, what did you expect? <laughs> like, even though this person's a piece of shit, you're someone who broke into their house in the middle of night or whatever. Well, <laughs> like, yeah. Allegedly a piece of crap. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Allegedly, too. That's the other thing. You got to take their word for it. Uh, yeah, obviously, if government operated the way it was supposed to operate in in our magical theory head or what, the way we think it is, you know, the way we're told in government schools or whatever, yeah, uh, sure, probably no-knock warrants would probably not be the worst thing. So it can be for that one crazy hypothetical where, you know, this fits the bill. It almost never fits it with fucking uh, with, with guns because that makes no fucking sense. Uh, the idea that they've expanded this to use it for things like guns, it, yeah, it really doesn't make sense. Um but yeah, uh, I guess to cover that, cover do, do, do. Um, yeah, okay. We now let's start going into the specifics, uh, some of the different specifics when it comes to Duncan. Why, uh, especially from a tactical perspective, why this we've already you know kind of gone over a little bit, but going a little bit more specifics, why this was not a good idea, specifically in the aspect of Duncan. Like, for example, I know you. You brought up in your book this fog reveal technique they have. Yeah, so there's several programs that law enforcement has available to them <clears throat> that, um, and this has been going on since the 20 teens that we know of. I did find one video where a guy was talking, and this was 2002, 
where he was saying that the the government can track a person's position by their cell phone to like a three foot area uh, using GPS from your normal regular cell phone. And this was 2002. So we're talking about like the old Nokia, like the, the walkie talkie things that were annoying as heck um, back in the day. So now we have these new cell phones and they have uh, programs like the fog reveal, which, uh, you know, they, they plug a number in and it'll give them the GPS coordinates throughout the day. They're able to use this to build a, um, uh, what do they call it? It's like a profile for uh, daily activities, right? They want to know what your your normal activities are so that they can anticipate like, well, they leave work at this time, they arrive home at this time, uh, the phone, they know when you're using your phone, when you're not using your phone. As one person put it, Facebook knows when you're pooping. <laughs> Uh, and the cops have access to all this too. So if they want to track somebody and find out where they are, where they routinely go, uh, what your, your daily routine is, uh, throughout your life, they, they have access to that. Um, these are programs that are readily accessible to any, anybody from local police departments to up to the FBI. Um, and that's just one of several different programs that they have. Uh, they also have another one that is, uh, it's referred to as a, a reverse uh, search warrant where a crime happens in a certain area and police can th then go and access all the cell phones that were in that general vicinity of that crime to try to figure out who committed the crime. So, you could have 20, 30 different people who are in a certain area and the majority of them might not know that the crime happened. It could have been a bank robbery or something like that. So you have people sitting in traffic, you have other people in the building next door. Uh, they have no idea what's going on, but they'll look at all those cell phones and then they'll reverse uh, the, the, the tracking on it to try to figure out who was involved in the crime by using those cell phones. Uh, so that's another thing that uh, let's say you have like militias who are getting together, right? Perhaps a crime didn't happen, but they're under investigation and they know that this militia met at this sp specific spot at one point in time. They all have their cell phones on them because they're not thinking now they know who are who everybody in the militia is. People who maybe they're just there for the first time, um, people that have been going meeting with this group for the last decade or so. But that's one way that the FBI uh, and Department of Homeland Security are able to figure out who's in certain groups, who's committing certain crimes. And um, they have all this available to them. So when it comes to the, the raid on Duncan's house, uh, they, they knew when he was going to be sleeping. Uh, they knew where his cell phone was. Usually wherever your cell phone is, that's where you're at. Uh, unless you're somebody who's like, well, I charge mine in the, the bathroom because I don't like being woken up in the middle of the night. Um, even then, they, they know that you're home, right? Uh, it, people usually freak out if they leave the house and they don't have their cell phone on them. Uh, 
so yeah they have programs like uh the fog system they have this uh reverse search warrant capability where they can try to figure out who is in a certain area and then search those phones uh they can actually access those phones uh get your data figure out who you're texting what apps you have um uh what you like to do, who who you're seeing, who your contacts are. They they have all of this. And uh, so when it comes to Duncan and uh, raiding his house 4.30 in the morning, for one, they already had his his routine. They they knew that he was going to be asleep by then. They knew where he was going to be sleeping. Real, uh, real quick, do you know if these tools were actually utilized in this case? Because I think that it kind of paints a picture because in my head it kind of starts to imply uh, or is this a possible assassination route or is this a possible, oh, we're just so bad at our job type deal? Uh, I guess either way it kind of – I feel like if this is tools they were using, it kind of almost implies it's more sinister because uh, it's kind of like, hey, you had all this stuff and you still did it. It gets to a level of – uh, incompetence that it becomes almost unbelievable because uh, it's it, you, you did all this when you knew all this it, it, it gets to a weird spot uh, as opposed to if we didn't use it it's kind of like that it kind of points a little bit more to incompetence although both are still possible under either path I just think it does paint a picture so I'm, I'm curious are you do you know if these were things they actually used or not or uh, or, or no I, I don't I don't know okay. if the Montgomery County Sheriff's Department had access to this this is something that is available to any police department within the united states any any of them can access this uh it really depends on the department uh, it would probably take a foia request in order to find out if this is something that they purchased or something that they use regularly um, it's just one example of law enforcement's ability to do their job Better. I hate to say it yeah. that way, but uh, the fact that the creepy guy was at the house the day before, obviously they were scoping out the place. Uh, they were getting information on the layout where, where everybody was sleeping, um, probably getting information on nightly routine. Um, who knows what the, the extent of the conversation was um, between... Casey, Duncan, and El Creepo, <laughs> depending on how you want to refer to the guy. Um, and and that's the, the, the old method for scoping out a place before raid, too, is sending somebody in. And, yeah, they can, they can use the digital format where they just use data from cell phones, but the eyes and ears of somebody going into a place is still preferred. Um, yeah. I mean, it's additional intel. It's preferable either way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I do really, uh, real quick, I want to clarify for, you know, I guess just in general, I definitely am in the same place as you. I don't like that they have these tools uh, and that they use them to the extent, but it's like we're choosing between two shit options. And if I have to choose between, you know, a no knock warrant, you know, where the Duncan Lemp ends up being killed or where they actually use some of these, you know, shitty government spying powers and actually use them intelligently to the point to where they, you know, didn't have to be like this kind of thing. Uh, yeah, obviously it's preferable. Uh, you know, I, I feel like that more speaks to government incompetence where you give them all these shitty tools and they use them in all the wrong ways. 
<laughs> or, or incompetently entirely. Um, but, but yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I thought I think you were in the middle of thought there. Uh, I, I would say that even if the Montgomery County Sheriff's Department did use this, if they, they had access to the, the FOG program and they knew his daily routine, which they they already admitted to, to Casey after the shooting that they were under surveillance for a period of time and that they were they had been uh, followed by, um, I don't know if it was actually Sheriff's Department or if it was uh, people affiliated with the Sheriff's Department, but this was admitted during questioning that they were under surveillance. So the fact that they knew what their daily routine was, when they could have um, confronted Duncan outside of the home, right? So you you have this guy, you're saying that he's dangerous, you're you're but at the same time, you confront him when he's surrounded by all the things that make him the dangerous individual that you don't want him to be, right? Mm. It doesn't make any sense. It's like his his girlfriend's pregnant. She's going to regular appointments for that. Um, he's got to leave the house. It's it's not like he was just some hermit that was staying in his bedroom all the time. They know that he was going to militia group meetings, although I don't know how frequent that was. Um, but the, the point is, the guy has to make a living. He, he does have to leave at certain points in order to uh, contact different individuals. He's not going to be carrying his illegal rifle with him at the everywhere that he goes, right? So it just does it doesn't make any sense that they would go and bust in the door at 4:30 in the morning when he's already paranoid about being raided, surrounded by all the weapons that you're saying that you're worried about him possessing and then putting him in a situation where there's the increased possibility of a conflict between you and him. Yeah, it would make way more sense to just pull him over. And even if you are worried about some sort of standoff in a pullover situation, you pull him over. Do I mean, hell, you see it all the time. I see it all the time. I don't ever – it's it's almost more of a rarity now to see someone pulled over with only one cop car there uh, in these days. It Almost every time I see someone pulled over, there usually is like a second cop car that's right behind. All you have to do is pull him over, sit there until other patrol cars showed up, have a fuckload of patrol cars and just pull them over. I guarantee you, he probably won't do a single thing. And if he did, he'd get blown away real quick. Uh, you know, like it just it's and it'd be just him. Uh, which I mean, don't be wrong. I, I I wouldn't don't want him to for something like that. But you know, if if it's the situation of a gunfight, you know, with a bajillion cops versus one guy in a kind of isolated area, as opposed to in his home with his his girlfriend uh, who's pregnant with his kid and his br- brother, I believe, and his mother and father. It's kind of like. We, it's, it's an obvious choice. Like if you got to pick one or the other, uh, one's preferable, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know? Um, and yeah, you, you're, you're definitely in a situation where you're not as ready to, uh, like, yeah, you're, you're, you're put in a situation where you aren't like in this weird, what's going on. Is, is my family under attack? What's going on? It's just, Oh shit. Cops. Like, you know, you know what it is from the beginning, you know, <laughs> like, uh, you know, and I don't, I don't think, uh, he was in any way suicidal. So it, it definitely is silly. Um, let, let's uh, go back uh, to, you know, kind of a, or we're not go back. We're still trying to talk about it. Let's talk about the flashbang aspect. I believe we've also talked about it before, uh, kind of how the flashbang played into this no knock and just 
how it's kind of silly. It, 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 I just find it ironic that they play both sides of the card here. Or, or not even play both sides to where they like will use it to their advantage, but then kind of ignore the same logic they laid down uh, in other spots. Uh, but but I'll, I'll let you go there. Yeah. So in the December thirty first, uh, twenty twenty report that was released by the sheriff's department, uh, they talk about the use of flashbangs. Uh, they don't really get the details uh, put together all that well. Uh, they go through the procedure that the officers at Duncan's bedroom window go through. They go through the procedures that the uh, SWAT team members at the front door go through. Um, but they skip the initial flashbang that went into the bedroom uh, after they broke the window. They, they completely skip that. And then they go and they talk about the second flashbang that is tossed in through the French doors uh, going into the rest of the house. Uh, they do mention later on that there's um, that there were two flashbangs that were found in the bedroom after the shooting, but they never mention how, how or when the first one went in. But they do talk about how towards the end of the report that Casey's um, testimony um, contradicted certain aspects of the shooting officer's testimony, um, but that she might not have known what was really going on or had been confused because that is one of the side effects of a flashbang grenade being um, discharged in a close proximity. Um, but then they don't mention when that would have been used during the raid um, except for the one that was tossed in after Duncan was already shot. So they do acknowledge that she would have been confused and in a panic state and not really known what was happening during the event, which means they're also stating that a flashbang was thr thrown in through the window and put her into that state. Um, but what they don't acknowledge is the fact that uh, using such a device, it causes deafness, confusion. If you see the, the flashbang go off, it causes temporary blindness, um, a state of panic. So by tossing this into a window, you, not identifying yourself, you hear uh, a window smash, then all of a sudden something is exploding in your room. You're, you're sent into a fight or flight mode. You can't hear anything that's happening uh, or what anybody is saying to you because your ears are ringing. And then their their main complaint for um, or excuse for shooting Duncan is that he didn't respond to the, the shooting officer's orders. Uh, yeah, you put him in a position where he couldn't hear the officer saying anything. Uh, he had no idea what the heck was going on because you put him into a state of panic. And then when he's not doing what you tell him to do, you just go ahead and shoot him. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, real quick. I do want to add, mind you, this is in the middle of the night. So even absent the flashbang, I almost feel like there's already a disorienting effect. If you break through my window and start yelling orders at me in the middle of the night, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm a pretty deep sleeper. Well, like, like if you wake me up all of a sudden, I'm very like, whoa, what's going on? Like, you're just going to immediately be just like trying to process information at light speed. Uh, even in that situation, it's almost like I kind of can't blame someone for grabbing a gun. 
But now when you throw in a device that completely blinds you, makes you deaf, and this is something you just woke up to all of a sudden, I, I can't imagine how confusing and be like that that situation would be. Uh, like I, I can't tell you how many times I've woke up in the middle of the night and just been weird shit. Like I've slept walk and done stuff like that. So now you add in a flashbang and like waking you up all of a sudden and disrupting your normal REM sleep. People do wonky shit. So yeah, there is no justification. I, 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 it's almost infuriating to think that this would be a acceptable method. But I, the point I was getting, and you, you did bring up, is it is just ironic that it, like the the their attempt to discredit the prime witness is essentially discredits the whole premise of the entire thing. <laughs> like, like, and of course so, they throw it at the end of the report, probably hoping that, well, nobody will read this, but, <laughs> uh, and I have a, so one of the, the people I talked to about this case uh, is a guy I've known him for over a decade. Uh, he was in Iraq and he was part of the initial group that went into the country back in 2003. So he was in, um, he was in country for nine months. Part of his job was to go around and confiscate weapons uh, from the locals. So these are our soldiers who are, are taught to do these raids on homes. Uh, they, they basically function as a SWAT team and they did use things like flashbang grenades and, and other items like that in order to uh, complete the jobs. And so I ran the, the case through with him and, you know, we went over some of the details and everything. And uh, I was asking him different things about like, you know, when do you split up a team like that? And he was like, you don't like, that's how you end up real, having real quick. Crossfire. I want to emphasize for the audience. Uh, that the when they did this, uh, that is a big thing is they did split teams. So it just I know a lot of people may not pick up in that detail, so they're not they're confused. Maybe might be confused. Just want to clarify that. But go on. Sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah. So, so he was saying that you you pick one point of entry, you go into the house, inside the house, your team splits up and making sure that certain rooms in the area are secure, but everything behind you in that house should be secured by other team members, right? So you're constantly moving forward. You're trying to secure all the space within the, the house. Uh, also, if, if there is a confrontation, it's somebody who's in front of the group, and then the people behind are able to come in behind them and help with, uh, with backup. And so the idea that you would have two SWAT officers at a window on one side of the house and the majority of the other group coming in through another entryway, it, it's going to present an opportunity for there to be crossfire between the two different, I mean, it's the same team, but you're going to have, uh, if somebody starts shooting, people are going to want to shoot back and they're not going to realize it's their own guys who are shooting, you know, in this room, in this house, and they're going to think it's somebody else. So he's like, no, we never, we never freaking did that. That's how you end up killing your own guys. It doesn't make any freaking sense. And the other thing he said was um, when I brought up them throwing in the second flashbang grenade into the bedroom. And he was like, why the hell would you do that if your other guys are supposed to enter through the window and they could possibly be in the room? He's like, I'd be so pissed if somebody threw a flashbang grenade in, in the room when, when I was in there because 
you're just so effed up for such a long time afterwards. And I was like, yep. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, it, it just, uh, it, it just seemed like, you know, for, for an organization or, or a group who has such experience doing these raids for them to, to just plan it as we're to, to the point where it just seems to be like effed up from the beginning. You know, it, it, that whole thing doesn't make it a whole heck of a lot of sense either. Yeah. I do want to emphasize uh, the, the, your friend here brings up, I think an interesting point in this whole thing and the aspect of the interconnect between uh, our, you know, fuckeries over the Middle East and how they kind of come back home. Uh, you know, it's like, a, you know, it always ends up turning back inward. You run out of enemies, uh, you know, with, from without and you end up going within uh, and those same tactics you apply to yourself. Uh, there is this uh, this revolving door, especially between you know infantry or military police, between civilian police, and then the same tactics, even the uh, the equipment, everything. So a lot of this stuff is things that you know. I hesitate say, hesitate to say it makes more sense because obviously I don't like they're doing this over overseas. But in, when you're in a situation to where you don't give a shit about the person or their, you know, their, your, their rights or whatever, and you're just trying to accomplish something swiftly, or maybe even you don't care if they die, kind of makes sense a little bit. Uh, and then these same tactics come from, come from over there to over here. And there, there is definitely some philosophizing to be done there. I just, but I do think it's, a, it's an interesting point to bring up and how this works. I do also want to point out, uh, I guess I, I remember when I was reading your book, you, you brought up that your friend kind of brought up how this split team thing would make sense if it was just a we're uh, we're trying to put them down type thing as opposed to you know take them in. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you want to explain how that makes sense. Uh, and obviously this is just hearsay. I mean, I also it always could just be they're they're just fucking bumbling idiot cops. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, it, whenever it comes to government, it's always like are they evil? Are they are they stupid? It's you know it's both. And it depends on the situation. Either is possible. Uh, the government is mostly just evil people running a bunch of dumb people. Uh, you know, they, it's a, it's, it's like probably 95% dumb people and like 5% evil people. <laughs> like, <laughs> maybe like 1% idiots who think they can change the system or something. <laughs> like, but yeah. So the way that he explained it to me was that the only time he ever saw the teams being split up like that is if there was an individual that they were after who basically had a price in their head, right? This is somebody who is probably uh, an insurgent, known terrorist, uh, maybe a bomb maker, um, somebody that they weren't even interested in capturing. It was more important to put them down in order to save more U.S. soldiers' lives. Uh, the, the only time that they would break a window like that in order to get a clear shot. And that's basically what it was, was they, they wanted to get a clear shot at, at an individual um, because breaking the window, uh, you already have a wall between yourself and that person. So you're not trying to apprehend them. You, you can't reach them. The only thing that you can do is fire a couple rounds at them and put them down. That's your only option. Like they may stand there, they may put their hands up, but you can't move in. You can't grab them. You, you can't uh, secure the individual. 
you have to wait for somebody else to come in, in which case, again, there's the possibility of crossfire happening. You don't know if like that door opens up, the person's going to bolt or grab a gun or something. And next, you know, two groups of soldiers are shooting at each other because of this, this person that they're after. Um, but he said that the, the whole window uh, aspect of it did not make any sense because you, you can't secure what it is that you're going after which is the person, right? So you break the window, you're aiming in there. They can just bolt out a door. Like you can't physically stop them unless, and the only option that you have at that point is to shoot them. So that was something that he had brought up where the, apparently this was a tactic that they had used over in Iraq in order to uh, take down certain, certain individuals uh, that they were searching after. Um, and, and wanting to eliminate and um, yeah that so that that really fit with Duncan's story um, I don't know what else to add to that no I think it's good uh, uh, let's talk about one other aspect of the thing I guess we kind of touched on this a little bit uh, I kind of want to you know I guess talk about a little bit the piss poor intel essentially that kind of seemed at least it seemed to be it is also like you never know what the truth is but one of the big things is post after they were definitely questioning the shit out of her they didn't know about a lot of the stuff that you know they kind of it seemed to be that the uh, narrative changed as time went on as to why they did it uh it seemed to be you know they didn't really have strong intel at the beginning um it, it it's it's hard to attribute uh, it, like what really was the case if they really didn't have good intel or maybe they were just trying to get you know I don't know maybe Casey or somebody or other things to to uh, corroborate their already existing intel but uh, I I kind of wanted to get you to speak on that a little bit because it, it doesn't really speak well especially with all the uh, things at their disposal that they would for one even do this in the first place if they had a good amount of intel. Uh, unless they just didn't care and they just, I don't know, wanted to go in guns blazing because they thought it was fun or they wanted to kill the guy. I don't know. Uh, I guess I kind of want to hear, you know, what you think points to that they really just did not have very good intel for this, or at least they were lying about their intel, one of the two. Uh, or misrepresenting <laughs> their intel. <laughs> or just not saying where their intel came from. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Uh, oh, that that's a good point. Because... That's another thing, another possibility. If their intel came from sources that's not admissible in court, uh, then they, they would be like they need corroborating. But yeah, go on. Yeah. Uh, so to, to back up, uh, after 9-11, uh, George W. Bush decided that he was going to move forward with creating the Department of Homeland Security, a completely new federal agency uh which really did not have a very good defining role. And it was stated back then that this was not going to be a department to police or investigate, um, prevent terrorism from outside the U.S., that this was going to be used to spy on you. Uh, and there were several people that were talking about this because you already have the FBI who works domestically. You have the CIA who works overseas. So what the hell is the point of the Department of Homeland Security? Um, and in the early days of this organization, um, it ended up being employed by the least competent people 
that you could hire. These are the people who couldn't get into the FBI, uh, were not recruited by the CIA. Um, usually they were trying to find other forms of employment because they were on the outs with whatever department that they were working, whether it was local police, state police, county, you name it. So you end up with this, this group of ragtag degenerates <laughs> running DHS. And 20 years later, what they found out that they were good at was cruising the internet and collecting information. Uh, back in 2021, Mayorkas, for the anniversary of 9-11, did several interviews. And uh, this was pointed out by Dave Smith on his podcast, where he talked about how you are now the, the terrorist that they're going after. Uh, and Mayorkas was admitting that Homeland Security was collecting information on individuals. They were creating files. And once they had a certain amount of intel on a person, they would then hand that off to whatever police department um, was the best jurisdiction in order to investigate these individuals. So, and this was 2021. He was admitting that they had been doing this for years and uh, that they had been working hand in hand with local state law enforcement for, for years at this point. And they had these huge units of people who go around to different websites and they just gather all these different things, whether it's comments about cops, whether it's terrorist activity, um, being members of militia groups, um, <laughs> posting videos of you with firearms, Whatever it is that they can try to paint a picture of you being a bad guy, they're going to use and they're going to put that together. So back in 2020, a confidential source goes to the Montgomery County Sheriff's Department and says, we've got all this information on this person, Duncan Lump. And they were listing off mymilitia.com, Instagram posts, Facebook posts. Um, stating that they knew that he had purchased a bulletproof vest, that there was a rifle he was in possession of that was possibly illegal in the state of Maryland. At least that's what they used for the warrant. Um, but then, after the shooting, Casey's being interrogated by the police. And they're not asking about the rifle or anything like that. They're asking about who he hangs out with. How long did he have these extremist views? And this is the language of Department of Homeland Security when they're talking about certain individuals that they deem to be domestic terrorists. So, yeah, the, the thing with the confidential source is the fact that this is all information that is gathered without a warrant. It's then handed off to local police departments and Homeland Security has classes that they give to local PD in order to use this information in order to get warrants for different things. And they'll backtrack. So they'll, they'll hand off information on like, this is a conversation this person had with this person. This is illegal activity. Now, we didn't give this to you. But once you make the arrest and you grab their cell phone and you get a warrant for the cell phone, you know that this is on there. And therefore, you can immediately add that to your report. So they also teach them how to backtrack and 
include information that otherwise local PD would not even have for the arrest. Uh, and this has been going on for years. Yeah, um, let's talk about a little bit about uh, the post-January 6th and how uh, you brought up uh, domestic terrorists. Uh, they started labeling these like DVEs, essentially was a domestic violence extremist or mm -hmm. no, not violence, something like that. Um, uh, so I kind of want to talk about that and how it relates to Duncan. It also, we kind of touched on this a little bit, how they, uh, you know, kind of use these, uh, uh, were able to kind of like post hoc, uh, you know, rationalization with the evidence that they, uh, you know, acquired after the fact, um, you know, and how this kind of ties into it. Cause I think, uh, the way I read your, through the book, you kind of made it sound like uh, a lot of this stuff came to light post January six as well. Uh, along with them making refocusing back back on domestic type stuff because I know they tried to a little bit in the Obama administration it didn't really take but then January six is what really gave it like oh we can go full bore you know that's why we have stuff like fucking um, which I don't remember if this was post before or after January six now I think about it but you have stuff like the the Whitmer stuff uh, the Michigan kidnapping I feel like it was after but I might be wrong uh, but it, they were definitely working on it before but either way. Uh, it, it definitely allowed them to be able to real refocus on it. Um, so I kind of want, want to get your get you uh, let, let you explain that to my audience. Uh, kind of what was going on that. Uh, kind of how they turned Duncan into a martyr in an official sense, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so uh, getting back to Obama, he tried getting away from the Middle East terrorism uh, aspect of things for quite a while to the point where he was cutting budgets for different organizations. And then um, lo and behold, things like the Boston Marathon bombing happened. And what, what came out after that was the fact that the Obama administration is cutting all these funds and all these experts that would have been able to say like, hey, we think something's going to happen here. We're no longer in positions of authority. Uh, nobody was really looking at foreign terrorists anymore. He was really trying to go after the, the white Christian male militia uh, individuals within the country. And uh, it, yeah, like you said, it really didn't take off. So January 6th happens. And immediately afterwards, the FBI starts changing everything. Um, people are getting pulled off of child uh, sex trafficking cases. And they're getting put on looking for um, Trump voters. Let, let, let's just be honest. <laughs> it's, it's anybody who is uh, supporting Trump, anybody who is, God, pro-America, um, has actually read the Constitution, heaven forbid, um, will say things like, we're not a democracy, we're a constitutional republic. Um, these are all like red flags now that the, the FBI is going on places like Facebook and uh, Twitter. And if you say the wrong thing, boom, you get added to a list, you get a file opened on you. Um, and, and January 6th was like a big eye-opening event for the FBI because all these agents who have been working there for years, who had these important cases, they were following you know, these these important topics of like the big one was the human uh, sex trafficking where they're getting pulled off of those cases. And these, these agents are like, what the heck? Like, <laughs> um, 
And then come to find out, the, the head of the FBI, uh, not that long ago, comes out and says, we have more agents looking for white supremacist domestic terrorists than exist. Like the supply is not meeting the demand here. And the Biden administration is out there saying like, we want these numbers higher. Mm -hmm. So one thing that they did was January 6th, the, the event itself happened in one jurisdiction. So the Washington DC branch of the FBI should be covering January 6th. But what they did was using cell phones, they figured out all the people, where they lived, where they came from. They tracked them back to their homes. And all of a sudden, those cases are being distributed to those local FBI um, headquarters, which means all of a sudden, domestic terrorists across the United States is skyrocketing because of the numbers because of one event. So Biden got his boost in numbers, but at the same time, it's, it's just fake. It, it's all made up. Um, there's a couple documentaries that you can watch about January 6th that just goes to show like what exactly, uh, was happening that day for the majority of the people who were there. Um, in the recent Oath Keepers, um, court case that's still going on, um, video footage came out where the Oath Keepers were helping the police. (laughs) So, and and a lot of them are active um, police officers, EMTs, um, current military. So these are people who they're, they're not looking to like tear down the country or anything. Uh, They were looking to help um, the situation as as bad or as not bad, depending on how you look at it, as bad as it was, um, you know, the, the whole case there, I, I feel like, they're probably going to be convicted, even though um, if you look at the evidence, like there's there's really nothing that goes to show that they intended on having an insurrection, right? Um, how, what kind of piss poor planning went into that? I don't know why you would have an insurrection unarmed. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah, no, it's definitely silly. I would suggest for the audience. I've suggested it before, but this is a. Uh... I think it's really helps you understand probably one of the best things to kind of wrap your head around this would probably be Trevor Aronson's terror factory book, uh, where he kind of goes into, uh, essentially how, um, they, they, they essentially boosted their numbers for terrorism, like, you know, out of the country type terrorism. And, uh, and they, they especially use a lot of tricks when it comes to like immigration and stuff where they would hold people up like, Hey, we're going to deport you or you can be an informant. Uh, but I do think it really does inform you to how this works. Uh, you brought up the supply and demand. You know, they have a demand. They're not meeting the supply. Like, well, what do you do? They make it happen. One way or another, they make it happen. This is where you see – I mean, this is a phenomenon we've been seeing for a long time when it comes to, like, informants in these groups. But, it, you know, in a situation like this, it's going to get even ramped up even more. Uh, so it, that is something definitely to be wary. Don't take everything at face value, just like, you know, I brought up before the Whitmer case. Uh, the kidnapping thing—it's—it's it's complete bullshit when you look into it. It's through and through, <laughs> and people are people are basically losing their lives uh, over this. Um, uh, I don't know what this current situation is with the state cases, but I—I I, I would assume probably not well. I mean, they've already convicted, I believe, a couple of the guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and even really the worst case, Adam Fox, which is the one probably they got to say the most incriminating stuff. And even then, when you look into it, uh, and I've done a decent dive on it. Uh, 
there's like nothing there. It was just some dude trying to sound cool in front of his friends. And he was kind of this like sad, homeless looking homeless dude. So, like, <laughs> you know, like he just he never had friends and he was just trying to say stuff to make them, you know, make it sound cool. And even then he didn't really seem to want to go around, go with through with it. And they still fucked over his life. Um, well, right, I think we covered everything that I really want to cover in this episode. Uh, you want to go ahead and drop your plugs and we'll go ahead and get out of here, man. Yeah, so uh, you can find my books, uh, including Crash in the Night, um, The Assassination of Duncan Lump at Amazon in digital and uh, physical format, um, along with uh, all my other titles over there. Uh, I do have the Collapse Experiment podcast. There's also the CollapseExperiment.com. And uh, I'm kind of at the moment taking a break from Twitter and some of the other social media. Um, Just uh, uh, after the midterms, I I needed like a a freaking break and just kind of a a breather from, from all that. So um, yeah, not, um, you know, I still have my accounts and everything on there. I still, uh, when I'm posting on the collapseexperiment.com, it sends out immediate notifications to like Twitter and, and a few other sources. But um, yeah, uh, really just concentrating on the, the the website and the podcast at the moment and um, trying to ignore everything else because uh, lately things have just been a little much and um, yeah, needed a breather. No, I feel you. It's good to take a moment off every now and then. Uh, detach. I didn't know you were back on Twitter. I think I had trouble staying on there. Uh, make sure yeah. make sure you follow me uh, <laughs> at Senor Jose Twenty Twenty on Twitter for those who want to follow me there. Uh, but yeah, this is No Way Jose Show. You can find me on YouTube, all the major auto podcasters, Odyssey as well. You can follow me on Facebook too if you want because I get nuked on Twitter often. But I don't know. Hopefully Elon changes that. We'll see. Uh, maybe get my uh, bigger old accounts back. Uh, if you want to support me money-wise, patreon.com says no way Jose 2020. If you want to support me other ways, you can like, share, subscribe, comment, uh, all that good stuff. Uh, you know, tell a friend, uh, I'd appreciate it. Uh, I've done, I feel like I've done a decent amount of meaningful work, you know, covered, done a decent amount of stuff on Duncan Lamp, uh, OKC, Michigan, you know, a bunch of other different stuff. Uh, I've been happy with how this has worked out. Uh, we'll be seeing definitely more. Matthew will be doing more episodes on this. And uh, I'd like to probably cover Michael Hastings in the future. And I have a feeling we'll probably cover more interesting stuff I want to go into, you know. So uh, hopefully we'll interact more, even more in the future. But I appreciate your time, Matthew. We'll, we'll do this again soon. Uh, with that, we are out. Appreciate everyone who showed up. We are out.